2: Musician, artist, and author Lisa Gunger fell in love with music and art as a child, scribbling songs since she was just seven years old. After college, she began recording and touring with her now husband Michael as a part of the group that eventually turned into the Grammy nominated band Gunger. Through all of this time, her faith was the lens through which she viewed everything her marriage, her music, and her dreams. And When that lens shattered, she wondered where her broken story would take her. The death of a friend, the unraveling of a career, the loss of a worldview, and the birth of a baby girl with heart defects all led Lisa to a tumultuous place. That is, until it gave way to a new perspective. I'm so honored that Lisa is my guest on the podcast today. Her story is a journey of what happens when you dare to shift the kaleidoscope and see new colors by way of broken pieces. Her work has touched the lives of so many people, and her story that she shares today is beyond what I would have hoped that it would be. I am Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good. This is the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. Sounds Good is not your typical three steps to success podcast. We don't host this podcast for the sake of leaving you with bullet points on self-improvement. We deeply believe that our lives are more complex than that. So we show up here on Sounds Good to ask big questions, dive into nuance, and learn from each other's stories. I absolutely love this conversation with Lisa, and I hope that it sparks something hopeful inside of you. Let's jump straight into this. really enjoyed your book. I, I, It was such an honor and such a pleasure to read. And it felt so relatable and and funny. And uh, I just wrapped it up yesterday. And I, I don't know, I just really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Oh, man, thank you so much.
2: In the prologue, I, I guess I just want to I want to talk about the prologue for a second, because okay. it was written to your mother. And in many ways, the book was kind of formatted in that way. I guess tell me about your thought process behind that prologue for the book.
0: It kind of just came to me one day, and at first I thought this book was going to be a series of essays. I didn't. It took me a while to realize this is just this is just my story. So as I just as I started writing out the story, and in that beginning, like I I had um, that perspective was was kind of the intro to the book. And as I got about, it was really about halfway. No, actually, that's not true. I'd written the whole thing before I realized mm. I, I wanted it to be a letter to my mom because I think so many people can relate to having this difference uh, in of opinion uh, in, in po- politically, relig- religiously with their parents or grandparents. I know very few people that are like yeah, i can very. I can have incredibly open <laughs> conversations with my parents about yeah. what I believe.
2: And if they do, it takes work to get to that point. It never really happens naturally, or at least I don't know anybody where it's just happened supernaturally.
0: Yeah, well, I think I think I live in a bubble in Los Angeles because uh, there's mm. I, I I do know some people who it's happened very naturally, but their parents were always just very open with them from a young age, and. And I'm not saying my parents did it did everything wrong, um, which I think is really important. What I try to paint in the beginning is this thing that most people have, the good and the bad in the same in the same bag. You know, everyone experiences or mo- a lot of people can experience really beautiful things and really, really tormenting difficult things all in the same family. Um, and that's so it's hard to really name the experience when especially as a child, you don't know what's going on. And you know that I, for me, I knew my parents loved me and I knew that they were, they were giving everything that they could to me. But then there was this dichotomy happening behind the scenes that nobody really saw. And it was hard to talk about as a kid because, because you love your family and you just don't, yeah, it's just confusing. Uh, Childhood can be confusing. And so, I think as I wrote it out, it started becoming clear. It just became clear to me like, oh, this is the beginning of this is a letter to my mom because these are all the things that I wish I would have explained to her as I was going through this when I was just so silent and afraid to talk to her about a lot of these.
2: Yeah. What was your relationship like at a young age? What did it change over time? I guess.
0: Yeah, she was. I mean, my mom was my best friend. She homeschooled me. We, we, I felt like it was that dream relationship. I mean, she taught me how to sew. She was the one that supported me in drawing and piano and you know, like this family of sports people. I felt like she was like my my one person that supported really what I loved, and vice versa. Um, we both loved church. We both loved singing. We both would go to church anytime we could. And that that's what we did together. We were, we were best friends through and through. And so as I began changing, that was really difficult to talk about with her.
2: And in what ways did you kind of start changing growing up?
0: Well, I had questions about some things that would happen in our church. And I think it was all so fun and exciting. Like we went to this really, this wild church where people would like, run around the church and (laughs) (laughs) sometimes people would like swim on the floor because it was called river of life. So they would pretend like that they were like swimming in this river (laughs) of life.
2: That's amazing. Where was this? You grew up in Texas? I
0: grew up in New Mexico,
2: New Mexico. Yeah. So
0: after going (laughs) to these other places that for me, like like I know a lot of other people can really love the Baptist church and the Methodist church for me as a kid, I was just bored. Oh, I, I hated it. I'd like count the light fixtures and draw on the hymnals and, and, but, but there was this sense that I, I always, I always felt like a kind of a weird whimsical child. Uh, So when we went to this church that had flags and loud music and uh, the people were all real excited and dancing and I also saw there was equality. It was really pulling on on my heart and and I felt I saw people being free in their bodies and serving each other loving the poor and giving everything they have to each other where I grew up was very low income area I mean the house I grew up in cost fifty thousand dollars and my parents sold it 12 years later for (laughs) fifty thousand (laughs) dollars it's not a it's not a booming uh City, so um, I think there's nine thousand people there when I was growing up. Really tiny, tiny town. Real great for meth. If you're into meth, it's the place. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, not advocating. I'm not an advocate for meth. Uh,
1: <laughs>
2: but but if you are an advocate for meth, then it's a great spot to go. Is what you're great... telling people.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you that. First of all, don't do meth. Second of all, but if you you know, oh gosh. I... That's, yeah, not not the rabbit trail I want to go down. And then it turned nope. into a mess. How to get mess conversation.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's what our podcast is all about primarily. So thank you for bringing it back to, <laughs> it the, all, the, to the main focus. Um, <laughs> anyway, so you were going to this church, experiencing this community. It was interesting. It was wild. At what point did kind of questions start to rise for you?
0: So it's like sometimes there would be... They'd have these moments where like everyone's laughing, like the and like someone starts laughing and like everyone starts laughing, <laughs> and it's kind of funny. Like you'll hear ther- therapists doing this actually now, like having these groups of people and they lead them through like these laughter therapies. Um, so now it doesn't, you know. I mean, people, we're all, we're humans. We're all weird. All of this is weird. I think my, I think everything that we do really as humans is weird now. But at the time, you know, there were these these movements that would happen and you felt like if you weren't a part of it or buying into all of it, that you, that you kind of weren't trusting, you didn't have faith, you weren't trusting God. So I think I was, I was really afraid to ask, like, is this, is this real? What is really happening? People are you know fall, falling over on the ground. Is that a real thing? And if I would question it, I was told, well, you don't, you don't question the man of God. You don't question God. And so I think I had these two things, Parallel things happening. I had a lot of freedom happening in my life because, um, again, like the the church was run by a man and a woman, and I didn't realize that that wasn't happening everywhere <laughs> in the world. You know, as a, as a child, I'm thinking that men and women are equal, and so I was given a voice as a young girl and taught to play the piano. I led music there. So I was given these opportunities that many girls aren't given. And I was told that I mattered. I was told what my feelings matter, my emotions matter. I think that that's really rare.
2: Yeah. That's a big deal. That's a really big yeah,
0: deal. Yeah. Huge deal. And I don't discount that. So, But then also, um, I think after I went to college, I it wasn't until I went to college that I really realized, and this happens so many places people are on your side if you're on their side. Hmm. So the moment I started I started going to a different church which Michael and I laugh at all the time now but that's that's a real thing in the church world. You go to a different place that they don't agree with and you can get disowned. So yeah, we we laugh because if you go to two churches that's seen as a bad thing but I thought I was like a a super Christian for going to two that's different so churches. Funny.
2: And you're in, you're in college. And is this the church that this is Michael, your your then boyfriend takes you to? Is that kind of what's happening?
0: I was like, I was doing music. I was like leading the music at one, helping lead music at one place, one church. And then a friend of mine took me to, um, a, people would call it Gungers. So it was called Believer's Church. But at the time they'd say, hey, do you want to go to Gungers Church? Because that's our last name. So we started going, and it was it was on Friday nights, and it was it was the big thing in this in in Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, was uh, where we were going to school, and there was this crazy looking guy on stage that would play the guitar and um, had all this like wild crazy hair, and I I just thought like wow what a what a weird looking guy. <laughs> and it ends up that I like end up dating him.
1: Oh god! So that's it. Michael,
0: and he's the worship leader there. So, uh, it, and that took a while. I mean, he kind of he like chased me for a while and I I wasn't interested. I didn't I didn't want to date a worship leader. I didn't want to date a pastor's son. Uh <laughs> I just I, in that circle, he he became like really popular. He was this really popular guy and all the girls really liked him because he sang songs to God and they thought that was so sexy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh the things that are sexy when when you're like super Christian is really funny. So
2: funny. And were you at a Christian college too? Or was it a, a just mm-hmm. normal Okay, cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like girls us girls we had a curfew and the boys didn't.
2: What? That's terrible.
0: Yeah, I think you know, they thought as the girls are all in their dorm rooms, the boys aren't gonna have sex and I don't know. I think they just didn't think any homosexuals were or bisexuals or or going to their school oh my like, like what about so I, it was just all super bizarre um but again like you if you if you're in this thing that you just can't see how strange some of the rules are. you yeah. just can't I mean, it's weird to me that this is my story um even some, some all of our friends now they just they consider me like a mole woman (laughs) just came out of this super crazy, uh, place. But, but again, there were these things that happened at a young age that I feel really opened up my heart and were, um, I feel lucky for many of the things that happened, but then also there was all this control and manipulation that I just couldn't see. So I'm in college and I'm beginning to realize it. And, yeah I get in trouble for going to a different pla- to a different church and... is it
2: like a theology issue or is it just straight up control?
0: no, it's just straight up control it's same got it i mean i guess I guess they would say they would probably say it's a theology issue, but I think people were the pastor who was Michael's dad was telling college students like that they that they have a voice and that they specifically when all this stuff was going on with me, they were basically saying, you know, well, Lisa, she's in college. She should be able to decide when, what her curfew is or what church she goes to. Like she's, in essence, a grown woman. And I have a job. I'm paying my bills. I'm paying for school, you know. so, So they were so confused by this control.
2: And that's, I mean, I think that's probably such a relatable thing for so many people, even outside of the faith world, because most social justice issues are issues of, of control and freedom and, and people realizing that they that they have freedom and that they're born for freedom and trying to take that, mm-hmm. and then other people's like you know trying to control that because control is so much easier. like it, it feels so much more black and white yes and simple, but obviously that is not the healthy approach to this, but it's under it's almost understandable and relatable in that way.
0: Yeah, and it's wild looking back. I mean, I still see there's many circles that do that now still in the, in the Christian world, uh, they think that they've been given this like authority from God to control other people. And that and they feel, they truly feel like it's healthy. Like they really believe that they don't believe they're being bad people. They believe that God has given them this, this mandate to keep people on this quote unquote, like straight and narrow. And that they're the ones that know what that straight and narrow is for people. So when you fall out of line or you start making your own decisions, you were pushed out. So that was I think my first experience being pushed out. Yeah, I received a letter from the church and they they told me I wasn't following God's will for my life anymore. And it was so bizarre to me because I felt like I was I truly not just doing all the things. I know that there I I wouldn't say like, "Oh, I'm praying five prayers a day and I didn't have like this laundry list of things that I did to make me feel like a good Christian, but in the center of my heart, I felt with it and around, like that, God was with me, and I was with God. So, so it was really that con- was such a confusing time in my life, and I feel like I stopped listening to myself and s- trusting other people's opinions so much for what direction I should take for my own life. It was confusing because I felt like I was in the wrong. I didn't immediate. I, even when they sent me that letter, I was so hurt, and I didn't tell anyone about it. I didn't t- even tell Michael, and we were probably about four months away from engagement at that time. So if my, I didn't tell my closest friends. Was that. it
2: shame or just, or what do you think that was? No,
0: yeah, it was shame that I, cause I thought maybe I, I thought I was wrong cause I shouldn't be going to do churches. I shouldn't be dating this guy. There's really something wrong. I must be a rebellious kid because I want to make my own decisions. <laughs> so I, yeah, I had, I had a lot of, crushing crushing shame i mean i i got really i was sick a lot and i remember going to the nurse all the time so stressed out and there were so many things happening around that time that was the first year my parents were divorced feeling all this tension within the church and then really soon after that and i don't i don't even talk about this in the book but after michael and i were engaged it came out that michael's dad had an affair and Everything fell apart. So, even in that, it was this sense that, oh, they were right. You know, oh, all that's they, hard.
2: They, yeah, it like justified them.
0: Yes, yes. And I think it's hard when people go through things like that. He was made out to just be this, Michael's dad was made out to be this just terrible person. And you go, God, like he's wonderful. He's a wonderful person father and husband and
2: yeah it doesn't diminish all the positive experiences that you had with him or that that his community had with him
0: yeah so it really do de- yeah things like that really demonize people uh, and that's, that's so what you hard. remember for right yeah so so it was all like such a hard season and michael and i we get married and we just get out of there like we moved to michigan start working for a big church and um but then yeah as as it happens like the questions still it kept growing and growing and growing.
2: And is that weird working at a church and having those questions just continuing to bubble?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yep. I mean, we had a lot of beautiful, positive experiences as well. I mean, we were both college kids and they, they paid for Michael's school. I was going, I finished my degree. We had a car that was paid for. We were both 20 years old. I mean, we were children and, Working at this church of ten thousand people, uh, so it was really bizarre. I mean, it was it was bizarre. All we were given, we built a house out in the country. Life was easy because uh, we had a great job, great friends, great community. But yeah, it was this thing that's underneath all of it. You're going, is this all really what it's <laughs> what it's yeah? Is this all true? What we've been given and what we've believed and what we are not just what we've been given, but what we're giving other people and what we're telling other people, all of this is, is what the earth is and God. And like, we had all the answers, right? And yeah, that, that slowly unraveled and then quickly crashed.
2: Uh, Isn't that weird how, when you're kind of put in like an authority figure place and you realize, you know what, I don't have all the answers and I'm like, Running the show,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. all
2: these other people who are running the show, maybe maybe they don't have the answers either.
0: Yeah, and that's scary because you want to believe that you want to have certainty. You know, that's feels pretty helpful (laughs) in (laughs) life. You don't have certainty. You some people love it. I think there's different different personalities. You know, can thrive in the questions or when some like I, I have a I have a cousin. He was just elated when. He, some of these things fell apart for him. Hmm. And he felt so much freedom immediately. But I think for us, we it was so difficult because our entire lives were built around church and around, around this, con- this very specific construct of God, uh, specifically like the evangelical construct of God.
2: And you guys become pretty popular figures in this world of things. You guys start a, a popular band that's really beloved by... The evangelical Christian community, you can probably still hear some of your songs. I don't know if you can still hear some yeah. of your songs on the radio today. I don't know. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they play us anymore. I think we were blacklisted. <laughs> I'm
2: sure that, it, that, that it's on the radio still because it's good. Uh, but if they know the backstory, they're probably not super into it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, one of the main Uh, Christian Radio Stations, the guy got really, really upset at us. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started calling all of our shows and telling promoters, like, don't go – if you support these people, we'll never support you again. So it was a, it was like a, it was a war. It was really strange. So I don't, I don't. We're probably getting a
2: little ahead of ourselves. Maybe we should back (laughs) up a little bit to to explain why. Anyway. Yeah. So you're, you're asking yourself all these questions and you've, you're kind of living within this, this world of things. What kind of happens next?
0: Well, I think it's, we just keep running into people and the more that your heart is open to people, the more you change. And I think it's also, we, we started traveling because it's easy to remain in a bubble when you don't go anywhere else and you're in an echo chamber and every, everyone's just agreeing on all the same things. So we started traveling with our band. We started getting invited to play music other places. And and then we started traveling overseas. And I remember the, the first really big shift or, or one, one of, there's many, but like, One of the first was going to Auschwitz. We went to Auschwitz around the time we were, we were trying to have kids. We we ended up trying for about six years to have a baby. And the doctors told us, well, we don't know. You might be having miscarriages. We don't know what's going on. And I was doing all the, you know, the shots, the, just all the fertility um, stuff that makes, that can really make you crazy. And we ended up going to Auschwitz. We were, we, traveled through Europe for a month by train that opened our eyes a bit more because I, I, I mean, walking the ground that, that they walked and you go mm-hmm. into the, we went into the crematoriums and we saw children's shoes and hair and suitcases. And, and I, I remember just having a piece uh, Big piece of my faith break because I always thought faith was a transaction and God was this transactional thing, this guy in the sky that would give people, good people things, right? And and when you you eventually get to the end of that idea, if you really <laughs> think about your belief, you will run to the end of that. It will break apart at some point. Uh, yeah, I mean that's just that's not how life works. Um, and so I remember thinking, God, I'm sure that they prayed f- to be saved. There's so many parents that are in some parents that walked even walked out of there and lost their children. How can I pray for a baby? And how can other people tell me, just pray, just pray and believe that this will happen. I couldn't anymore. So that's when I stopped praying and stopped reading the Bible because I just couldn't. It was too painful. It was, uh, I just kept seeing The concentration camp and thinking about all the families there. And so I didn't know what, I didn't know where to go in my faith because it was too painful to even approach it. And, and so in, in that time period we'd moved to Denver and we'd started a church and that was wonderful. Like we, it was like this really ragtag group of people. um, That was so, it was so like raw and, Really disorganized, which is not the great thing. <laughs> but just, I feel like that's such a cliche thing when people talk about we just really living our lives together, you know. <laughs> but we, but but we were, we were sharing our life and we were sharing our doubts, and it was the first place that we could really be ourselves and talk with other people about what we really believed and them as well. So it started as a tiny church in our in our or a little house church in our apartment and then it just kind of grew it just grew
2: and do you think it grew because people were craving that sense of genuineness that you, i mean I, it started in your house you know mm-hmm. so it's, it's got to feel personal do you think that's what people were craving
0: yeah i think everyone just wanted to finally talk about all the things that they hadn't been able to talk about
2: and are you guys talking about things like doubts and questions or is that is that still below the surface?
0: No, we're talking about all of that. Okay, talking about doubts and questions. We're talking about we're totally like unraveling the theology that we'd all been given, and and honestly, like a, the what we had come from was a lot of sexism, a lot of um, inequality. I mean, we came from uh, the uh, one of the places that we had worked at. I mean, I remember they all were laughing at homosexuals and like there was a joke like if you you know would get like you're gonna get catch the gay (laughs) Uh, it's awful I mean it makes me sick to my stomach thinking about some of the things that happened at some of these places that we've been so they're completely homophobic and and so we are living in a gay neighborhood and all that whole idea is gone for us that there's any separation between who God loves and who God doesn't and who is, who is in and who is out that whole thing dissipates for us. So that's when more of the public tension starts happening for us because in the, within the church world, you're, you're really not supposed to accept, or then you weren't supposed to accept the homosexual lifestyle which speaks not to just that it speaks to equality even yeah I mean, because women if to yeah I, I've just I was just reading this book by oh man where is this book um, it's called Bad Feminist oh yeah um, have you heard of that I've heard of it I haven't read it oh it's so good but she she speaks to that how gay rights didn't just fight equality for like same sex marriage. It, it fought for the equality of women because uh, even, especially within the church at that point, women were, we're, we're the second, we are the ones who created sin. We brought on the fall and we belong to our husbands. And so there'd be, you know, all these caveats, of course, like, well, you know, you submit to one another in love, but I don't know how many times I heard, oh, but if, but the man is the leader of the household. Mm. And if there's an argument, you go with the man's decision. So um, there's so many things that were being challenged as we were in Denver and so, uh, so many ways that we're changing. It's like, <laughs> I mean, I feel like we're we're completely different people now than, than who we were even then, in in when we were in Denver, um, so we're questioning all these things. A lot of it's being torn apart. We're we're receiving a little bit of tension uh, because we have a big song on the radio, but then people start realizing that we all the things that we are for, and then it comes to the point for us where Michael is having such a such a battle with everything. He I mean, we were always really open with each other, which I'm I'm so glad for. We never hid anything from from each other. Um so for him this was a very normal conversation and he he would say he didn't realize how much this threw me. <laughs> but he we're just walking along one night and strolling we fight we we end up having a baby girl uh which changes me even more drastically cuz I'm like, "Oh, I don't I don't understand how a Good God would burn people forever, you know, in this lake of fire, or or that there's any kind of separation. Uh, because I, it doesn't matter what my daughter would do, I like my this intense parent love. Oh, yeah, uh, just changed me. So we're strolling her along again, just having having a conversation about what we believe. And that Michael says, "And so I don't think I believe, and so I don't believe in God anymore."
2: Hmm. That's a big moment. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. It was I remember thinking I all of that even leading up to it, like, oh my mom was right. <laughs> <laughs> they were all right, you know. <laughs> um he is leading me astray. He's an atheist. He's we're supposed to question what we believe, not become atheists. It was it was like atheism was like the that's the door you don't go through.
1: Yeah.
2: Ever it's like you were asking all these questions about God and about these things. And then all of a sudden, like there is no God to ask questions about in his mind.
0: And it, and it was interesting because I saw the struggle he went through. I knew why he came to that conclusion, but it was always the scary thing that I couldn't let myself question or even say, even though I had days where I wondered that I'm like, God, where are you? I'm so <laughs> tortured uh believer. Right. And we <laughs> feel like we're, Many days were like split-brained. Believe one day, and then are writing it all off the next day. And if you don't go through that, it's really it's a strange thing to hear someone go through. You know, if you don't if you don't struggle with doubt, or if you've never believed anything at all. But when you grow up with a certain belief system, and you have it all crumble, it's man, it's like it's incredibly painful. It was really hard walking through all of that. And and I didn't know when Michael and I had been married 10 years by this time. I didn't know if we were going to stay married. What would happen to our daughter? I mean, all of these questions came into my mind and I was just, I was just so afraid.
2: And those are all happening internally on that walk or over the course of, of weeks or. Yeah, both.
0: Yeah. I think, both. <laughs> I, I mean, it, on the walk, like when he said that I had this great like revelation, about love and not just love, but yeah, gender roles. Um, what I expect of a husband, what, what we all expect of humans and what we talk about vulnerability and like vulnerability can be such a uh, buzzword, but do we really want that? Like When shit hits the fan, do we really want people to really tell us how they're feeling? And like, I, I wanted a guy who could question things and come to bet- better answers and be this. I mean, yeah, honestly, it's a, it, was, it was at the time really embarrassing to admit, but I wanted like this superstar Christian guy. Hmm. We were living our dream and we were traveling the world at this time. And we loved traveling. Um, we loved traveling with our daughter. We loved all the people in our band. And it really was a gift to be able to do that and sing all over the world and play music and get, get paid to play music for a living. It was wonderful. And so I didn't want, uh, uh, that starts to feel really great, right? When everyone just really loves you and they think highly of you and you're this leader that feels really good. And that's a real ego game.
2: Yeah. It (laughs) kind of reminds me a little bit of what you were saying about earlier when you were in college about, You know, you were starting to listen to other people's opinions and and less so kind of looking inward at how you were feeling about things. And and now it was the opposite, where people were kind of praising and and appreciating and and respecting what you guys were doing um, publicly. But I guess, you know, internally and personally, there was a lot that people weren't seeing yet.
0: Yeah. It's like we felt this opening of our hearts and this opening of our belief system and then it just crashed. And uh and it went it didn't go public right away even though we were very open about it and Michael ended up talking about it at the church we started in Denver. Everyone there was very wonderful and like oh that's cool. Yeah, that it was really shocking a shock to us how many people were just like, "Oh yeah, I've had the same questions and I'm so glad that you feel the freedom here to share these questions we'll see you next week. Yeah, they were, I think we were, we were like ready for this uh, war, this outrage. And we were really embraced by most of the people. I think some of the, the leadership did not like it. <laughs> of course, And that ended up being like being the thing that changed everything. We left Denver or we started making plans to leave Denver. And then we um i'm i'm actually pregnant at the time
2: with your second kid
0: yeah with my second kid and then we find out um soon after like a few minutes after she's born that she has some heart issues and she has down syndrome
2: what is that moment like
0: that was devastating on this side of it it's hard to talk about the mo- those first moments with her mm. because I mean, she's amazing. She's, I feel so lucky. I mean, I'm not just saying that. I think everyone should have, her name's Lucy. I think everyone's life would be so good if they had a Lucy. She's she's like, she's so amazing. Uh, Oh, like I'm tearing up. She's (laughs) like, oh God, this kid, she's so wonderful. Oh, she's so funny and just a blast to be around because she, Has taught us like how to be present, right? Like, you there's like a million books out that's like how to be here now. (laughs) (laughs) All the gurus of the world, like, that's what they're trying to teach us. And we got that in our house here. This kid that's she doesn't like, like, she's four right now, and she doesn't have this understanding of like future like or we're going to go do blah 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 you know she gets super pissed if <laughs> i'm like don't tell lucy what we're going to do later cuz she's going to get so pissed if we don't do it right now that's funny <laughs> so it's like her she like her ability is she's in the now all the time which is that's awesome that's so
2: beautiful i need that
0: so oh so if you're not like if you're constantly planning the future then you're going to piss her off and it's going to be an awful day but if you're just here now And she's great.
2: And what was your understanding of of Down syndrome, kind of before she was born? Because you know that has everything to do with how you immediately respond. Is kind of the context and the paradigm for other experiences you've had.
0: Yeah, I mean, I my understanding of it was very limited and very naive. I was very uneducated um, about what it was. One of my best friends has a brother who has Down syndrome and autism. And I mean, I'll be honest, it's really hard. It's, I've been around him about three times because he lives in a different state and he's wonderful. He's like, he's such a wonderful kid, but it's also really difficult. Um, he is nonverbal, so he can get really frustrated because he's trying to communicate and he can't. And he's learning that now. Like, I I think he's been in programs now that are really helping him be able to. To communicate, but um, um, the, from what I've heard from other mothers, is some of the the things when Down syndrome and autism mix, that it's that can be really difficult. Um, still, really really beautiful things about it as well. Every parent I've spoken with, they've had their own lesson in the learning the value of a human life in that. So that's not to discount their life and how beautiful and valuable their humanity is but it's hard and also the other child that i knew with down syndrome she passed away when she was one year old so that's all i knew i never exposed myself to disabled people or um, mentally ill people like i wish i had and then i i think if i had i wouldn't have been so scared I know I wouldn't have been so scared. So we're just we're afraid of what we don't know. So all I'm seeing is like Lucy's life is gonna be hard. She's gonna die. She's um she's I mean, from the moment they put her in my arms, she started turning blue. And they just they took her for some tests. And it's all really blurry, like that whole time frame in there in the hospital, because like we my body just went into like trauma mode and I'm like I felt myself like floating above my hospital bed is kind of watching everything happen so i couldn't give you like and then this happened and then this happened like i don't it's all really fuzzy but what i do remember is they brought her back to me and they were she was going to try to nurse which is really difficult for kids with down syndrome because they have low muscle tone and so it's it's hard for babies to anyways to nursing's hard anyways <laughs> so put low muscle tone with that and i was just like she's not I don't think she's going to be able to nurse. And I had all this immediate fear that, that um, gosh, yeah, like I, I had this thing come up in me. I didn't want her to nurse because I thought she was going to die. And I thought if I nurse her, I'm just going to, I'm going to love her more. Cause I, I mean, I, we loved her immediately and then we were completely terrified. And I just thought she's, I didn't think she was gonna make it, and if she did, I thought it would we would have her for like a very little time. but then she started nursing, and it was this that's in the book where I talk about like this thing this thing that happens, like our intelligent bodies or this spirit, whatever soul, whatever you want to call it, like whatever programming that we receive, there's these things that can happen in your life and this like seeing that can come through that is so beautiful that to me like my experience was it transcended everything I was taught and programmed to think and believe so that was when like I I felt whatever other sight my body has like it saw her and saw that that was this total flip of of really reality um That's been a whole journey. So we had this journey of faith and shift of shifting in our faith. And then this baby girl that really flipped everything for us to see how everything, all of life, has this beauty and this connection, and that it's not about what we produce and what we give, and it's not about this measurement system that we've all made up, you know, when you sense that just that intrinsic beauty of not only humanity but all of life. Man, I mean it it has drastically changed us. It's been it's been amazing. Yeah. So, she's 4 now.
1: She's 4
2: now. That's <laughs> yeah. incredible. And so, what have the last 4 years looked like as you've been learning and getting to know her and you know, interacting, I guess experiencing her interacting with the world and then also the world interacting with her. What's been that growing process?
0: It's been some of the best and most painful times. Mm. Uh, more so, the best because <laughs> she's just so fun and <laughs> awesome. And I think she's like it's just changed us so much. So right after, uh, I will say real quick, I I forgot to mention this. So right after she was born, she had her first surgery, and then we we had this whole thing. We were not sure if we should move, stay at the church in Denver or move. We didn't know what was best because at the top, Michael's an atheist. So <laughs> the the other pastor's like, how do I lead a church with an atheist? You know. <laughs> and uh, so it was this big wrestle. Uh, we ended up leaving because we didn't want the whole thing to fall apart. We didn't know. We could have been all wrong in all of our decisions that we made, but we were like, Drowning, right? We, Lucy had her first surgery, she's going to have her second surgery at six months. It felt like we were just trying to survive. So we end up uh, without a place to live for a short period of time, so we go to this lake house, and that's when we receive the information that like it blew up on uh, uh, publicly. Not that Michael's an atheist, but that he didn't he didn't read the Bible uh, in the literal sense (laughs) so we're like so that blew up and that's when everything started crashing career wise
2: and I think I remember that as just a listener of the band and as a follower on social media
0: okay and
2: it's a it's a harsh harsh like the the Christian media world is it can be harsh and nasty and I can't imagine how difficult it is to just sit there and not really be able to respond because, you know, in addition to, you know, there being so much more to the story and you, you, you don't have the ability to actually change people's minds. You also are, are juggling so many other things in your life. You know, you're, you're, you're dealing with, with surgeries and and kind of juggling two kids. Like there's a lot going on for you. Yeah. I can't even imagine.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of times I was like, well, now we're going crazy. I mean, this is the end for us. <laughs> we would just lay on the floor and stare at the ceiling. And just think, what, what is happening in our lives? And oh, I mean, I I called my mom. I called a therapist a couple of times and said, I, I think I'm mentally ill. I think I'm falling over the edge of of insanity. Like I, I my body, like I couldn't take the pressure.
2: And in hindsight, do you think that's true?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, you were just at this breaking point.
0: Yeah, I think I couldn't – I was I was so full of fear mm. and fear of like what everyone – all this pressure from the outside yeah. of what every, everyone was saying to us. And then also financially, like our finances were crashing and our shows were getting canceled every, left and right. We had two major surgeries to pay for for our daughter. We did, and so, in then internally, I'm going. What are we doing? The trajectory of my life. This was not how it's supposed to go. I've been, I've been faithful, and God, I, we've been true. Like we've been doing the best we can. And then yes, I'm sure we've done a, lo- a lot of things along the way that were not the right things, whatever that means, you know. But that sense of being tricked, and that sense of uh, at the end of it all like the one thing that still remained true was like, God, I thought that you would hold us, even if everything crumbled, that I would still keep my sense of, of calm and centeredness of who I am. And now I feel like I'm like actually losing my mind. How, how can this happen? And um, I remember even speaking to uh, another person. I was like, I know I need help. I think I need help. I'm I have so much anxiety every, I can hardly sleep every morning I wake up and I'm, I'm terrified. I'm stressed out. I think Lucy's going to die every single night. And it's just that every morning I would just walk into her room, fearful that she was going to be dead, that she, her heart would go out and that she wouldn't make it to her next surgery. Like I, I was not prepared for the amount of stress uh, that my body would feel. And so then I there were times that I would uh, a lot of practices that I began that I would try to help help that, you know, just to process and being with friends or um, meditation and there was all this fear even behind all some of these practices I was doing. And then I would try to pray. And then that was like a spiraling thing, you know? (laughs) So I remember someone laughed at me and they were like, ha ha ha. Like God's not going to let you go crazy. God doesn't let people go crazy. And I was like, what the fuck? (laughs)
1: People,
0: people lose their minds. It happens all the time. What, like, what are you living in some kind of alternate reality? I, I mean, just, it felt like we were living in bizarre. I felt like I was living in bizarre world and had very little outlet to be fully myself and really like, it was just, we felt very alone. I mean, Michael and I would talk to each other about our fears. There were very few people I felt like we could talk about because I thought we were just getting ousted and pushed out of this, like, spiritual faith community so not even just the church but like people that believe anything mm. you know uh, believe that there's more than this reality here uh that we see so it was really like step by step by step um you know people will ask us like well what was that like being depressed and going through this crazy time what was like the one turning point and it was really just all right, we're doing this again this next day. And this next day I'm I'm choosing to get up again and I'm feeding my kids and I'm putting one foot in front of the other. And I'm not looking at social media and I'm, <laughs> I'm not looking at what everyone else is saying about us. And it was such a gradual process. And we'd moved to Los Angeles and I felt like that gave us a a nice distance and we kind of became a, a little bit of hermits for a while. We were writing a ton of music to process. So music was how I processed my grief and my anxiety and my stress. And like it, we were, we wrote a, a trilogy of music during that time. It was three different CDs. And it's like walks through that whole process of like death and rebirth which is completely what we experienced, and um, being on the other side of that now is <laughs> it's wild. That's incredible. I mean, even as I like as I, as I relay the story, I'm like, "Oh my god, that sounds like pretty dramatic," but it it was it was very dramatic and painful and wonderfully heart opening and beautiful and is now I'm grateful that we went through all of that.
2: And what a beautiful thing to also choose to let people into that, you know, whether it's through your music or through, you know, conversations like this or through your book. I don't know. I think it's really incredible that you went through that and that, you know, you're, in, in many ways, you know, there's still a, a process that I'm sure you'll be going through for a long time. But it's I, I think it's such a cool thing that you've chosen to let people into that experience and, and that it's no doubt helping people.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I think, um, I mean, many different people will talk about this, that there's this like this building up of of your life and what in your, you reach your dreams, you're trying to reach this success, this thing that you think life is. And there's, and you're really building yourself up for the fall. I think Richard Rohr talks about that. So this whole idea of the fall is something that we create within ourselves and we built this avatar of who we're supposed to be, and that eventually crumbles, and then we see who we really are, and what all of this really is. And that's a, a painful, but such a beautiful experience, mm. and such a necessary journey. Um, I mean, if you're really, if you're really digging, yeah, if you're really digging to to beneath the surface, like there's, I think there's going to be that crumble.
2: In many ways, I feel like. Most of the people that I admire most, most of my favorite people, the people that I learn from and relate to are people who have experienced that fall. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Like, it's like, you don't want anybody to have to experience it. But also when you do, I don't know if the right word is beautiful. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's important. I don't know, but it's, it's not the worst thing. I don't know, but it also is, (laughs) I Uh, I don't know how to put words to it, but it's, it's remarkable.
0: It is, yeah. I think when you said beautiful, I think that is a great word for it because you think that these things that are only going to be painful, you think it's just going to ruin you and be painful. But then it's it's not only that. It's and that's a weird, wild thing to experience beauty right within something really painful, which is what we felt with Lucy. It was so painful because we didn't want her life to be hard, but then it was so beautiful because we were so blind to what she was and we're experiencing what she is. So that like how profoundly beautiful that was. And then in faith, I mean, when all that falls apart, you think the loss of that is only going to be painful, but then it opens the space for this truer thing to be born.
1: Mm,
2: That's beautiful. And you, you feel like you're in that, you're in that place right now.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, when I, we were with some friends last night and we were all laughing because a lot of us have come from that early circle that I talked about, you know, big fundamental evangelical, yeah. you know, ideology. So uh, we were laughing at ourselves like we would think that ourselves now were so backslidden, and they were like, "Well, maybe we are," you know. <laughs> and We're all just laughing and laughing at at how life is now, but how beautiful and wonderful it is, and how were those people now? Like we used to think that all the LA people were just the weirdo, oh, crazy people doing their sound baths, and you know, the, <laughs> going out to Ojai and doing their spiritual weirdo experiences, and. And then we're like, oh, that's us. We're totally doing that. We are we have followed that path <laughs> all the way here. I, it feels like I'm like on a third life. <laughs> like I see my my child self and then all the framework around who that girl was. And then the girl who this successful thing that was like living all her dreams, like that was like the second version of myself. And now – this, like, I feel like I'm in this space where that that now space, which, yeah, again, Lucy is, Lucy and my other daughter, Amelie, has taught me so much about and letting go of what people think, letting go of a need to build up any kind of false self again. Yeah. Um, and what a place of calm that is.
2: Yeah. And maybe maybe this is a nice time to just kind of transition out of the episode with with one last question which is kind of along these same lines, you know, the subtitle of your book is is opening your eyes to wonder. And you know, for people who are listening to this and they, you know, <laughs> they want to experience what you've experienced in this kind of beauty that's come from things and maybe more so a sense of wonder how how can we all open our eyes to wonder
0: i think it's pausing and listening a lot um because if there there that is one thing i've learned is i can't i can't tell you how to do that like i can't say like well this is what this is what worked for me you should you should go out and adopt a baby with down syndrome <laughs> i mean that would be awesome <laughs> you should do that but like that will teach you a lot uh but like for the each individual, it really is that thing like I cannot tell you the thing that you need to hear. You need like the gut, yes, there's books, there's a lot of wisdom out there there's you could spend your whole life reading every <laughs> book that's out there, just trying, 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 right, like just trying to attain and that's it's the that letting go of the trying, letting go of that tension of trying to be something trying to fix something within yourself, trying to fill in that blank. If I just have fill in the blank, then I would accept myself. And then someday I'm going to be the best version of myself. Like, oh, that's just letting go of that and listening. I try to go to to the mountains a lot or just be around trees, be around um, nature. That helps me. And I just, I'm just silent and I just listen. But if you're silent long enough, I think you find the answers you're looking for or the acceptance that you're looking for. I think that's a good place to start.
2: Lisa is such a force to be reckoned with. This conversation was truly a gift because it holds a story about perspective the dot where we all start the line where we journey on and the circle we come home to at last and i'm so thankful for how lisa is using her voice for good in the midst of so much heartbreak for those of you walking through your own story of doubt and brokenness i hope that lisa's words spark the beginning of something deeper for you and that you would know that the hardest experiences often end up saving us If you aren't already following Lisa on social media, you absolutely should. You can find her on Instagram and Twitter with the handle Lisa Gunger. And of course, during this episode, we talked about Lisa's new book. It's called The Most Beautiful Thing I've Seen, and it is so good. Oh my goodness. I loved it so much. I was challenged by every page and so deeply inspired. The book is available wherever you buy books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore go pick it up it's fantastic if you're new to sounds good we would love for you to stick around you'd also love our episodes with incredible and creative mothers elsie larson and near Firebrace, two women who i deeply admire you can find both of these episodes in more than 100 other episodes by searching for sounds good wherever you listen to podcasts and if you like what you're hearing Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that we can reach more people with these powerful stories. It also helps us attract more guests that are amazing and talented and inspiring. Thank you so much for your help. This podcast was created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good, 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 a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. Chad Michael-Stabley and the team at CM Studio edit, mix the show, and Chrissy Karenbrock offers production support. You can get lots of hopeful stories on social media by following us everywhere at goodgoodgoodco. And issue five of our good newspaper is just around the corner. Mark your calendars for the end of August. We are so excited to bring this to life. Our team has been working so hard and we can't wait to show you what's inside. We've got stories to tell and we don't want you to miss out. So make sure you go subscribe to the good newspaper at our online store at shop.goodgoodgood.co or follow the link in our show notes or on our Instagram or wherever else you interact with us on the internet. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and remember that one of the most important things we can ever do is open our eyes to wonder and pay attention to the beauty all around us. Sound good?